You're listening to a DM podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to the new series of Heroes and Howlers. It's me, Mikey Robbins, and my mate Paul Wilson. Hi everybody. Look, we're both still a couple of history tragics, but this season it's not just us doing the heavy lifting. That's right, Mikey. This season we've got special guests picking out their very own heroes. And howlers. <laughs> yeah, we're still on the lookout for those weird bits of history that have surreptitiously changed the course of mankind. And we're still uncovering the cock-ups, those moments of madness that have made the world what it is today. But now we've got backup. And together we'll be turning history back to front and back again. Hi folks and welcome to Heroes and Howlers and the Rest is History and that's part of our, our new show which Paul and I are really enjoying. That's right, yeah, new show with some new guests. We actually show we, we know people and today I'm so chuffed to have a dear friend and, and quite frankly I can say this out loud, a bit of an idol of mine as well. The one, the only, Wendy Harmer. Oh, hello, Mikey, you gorgeous thing. Thank you. Thanks how for coming have, on. You're welcome, Paul. Who are you? Sorry? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But how long have we known each other, Mikey? No, gosh, we go back to the, when I was in the Castanet Club. Well, yep. The old last laugh days. Yes, coming absolutely. Down, coming down and seeing you tearing it up on stage in the largest pair of earrings known to man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. And, and then, of course, I think you and I have... Uh, been close to being thrown out out of the logies on more than one or two occasions. Oh, I I, I think we just recognised each other as kindred spirits in that very firm, first moment, didn't we, Mikey? Can I tell my favourite story about you? Oh, yeah, God, go okay. The uh, bidding for Beaver's Boots, it was a charity function. Yeah. And we're talking about the great player Beaver. Yeah, Beaver Menties. And uh, there was a, a bronze set of Beaver's last boots, the last boots he ever played. Oh, in. I know. Yeah. And I'm, I was the auctioneer. I was driving the price up, and the price was going. I was it was up in the thousands. It was actually gotten over, gotten over ten grand. And there were two bidders in the room. One was Wendy. And at one point, I just went, "I've got to do this." I went, "Wendy, you do know the other bidder's your husband." <laughs> <laughs> and thank God someone stepped in and bought them and we didn't have to take them home. But enough footy, enough yep. reminiscing. We are talking history, history today and yes. we're talking your hero. And this was what I wasn't quite expecting. Jimmy Carter, the 39th president. 39th president of the USA, yes. So why did you pick him, Wendy? I think he's a very interesting character to talk about mm. at the moment, Paul, with the with the presidential election oh, coming up. Oh, yes. yes, that's right, again. He's in a hospice at the moment, Jimmy mm. Carter. He's 98 years old and uh, his wife, Rosalind, is 95 and mm. they've been married for... Forever. 300 years. Yes. And um, what is interesting about Jimmy Carter is, well, it said of his, his speechwriter says of him that um, he was a very lucky man uh, um, who was elected at an unlucky time. Mm. But when we look at the calibre of someone like Donald Trump and we compare it with someone like Jimmy Carter... Well, let's establish, we are sitting the bar very I know, yes. I know. But for, for many reasons, it's really interesting but Jimmy Carter, in his time, absolutely dominated the South. Yes. I mean, it was mm. all blue. blue. I've been looking at my map. She'll be pleased to hear, Wendy. Paul, apart from being a, a proper historian, is a map nerd. Ah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I so it. I was looking at that um, campaign map and the election results on the night. So he takes over the whole of the South and the all most of the East. He doesn't take California, which is quite interesting, I thought. You for know, a Democrat. Yeah, yeah, for a Democrat. But, yeah, it's a very, very different political map than what's What's going to be happening this time around, I would have thought. Well, that's right. Well, you know, um, when he was in the House under Speaker Tip O'Neill, you're not going to believe this. 
in Congress a margin of almost 150 seats. Right. Now, what was happening in that time? What was happening in the 70s? Just recently, a few weeks ago, um, uh, Joe Biden said that he'd been asked to deliver the eulogy Mm. for… Uh, for Jimmy Carter, which a lot of people said, oh, that's a bit... It's a bit too, early, yeah. That's a bit, you know, it's he's a bit still tacky. with us. He's still with us. tacky, Joe. But it did say something quite interesting, and that was that the Democrats are kind of circling back to the legacy of wow. Jimmy Carter mm. because they abandoned him for so long because mm. he was a one-term president. He got absolutely... Steamrolled by mm. uh, Reagan. Ronald Reagan, yeah, yeah. As, as we know. So now uh, people are saying, well, there's a legacy there. Let's have a look at it. And I think he's worth discussing today because when he dies, bless his heart, mm. and it may ease in a hospice. We well, mm. are 98 years. We are going to be having a very deep look at his legacy. Proper so look, I think yeah. that we're, this is quite timely. Well, actually, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, during the 90s, with all the work he did, he did after his presidency, people reevaluated him. But here's the thing. In 2021, the latest Gallup poll mm. that looked at the positives and negatives to rank presidents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a popular poll, a Gallup poll. Mm. Carter has now moved from around about eight and nine to third. third. So, yeah, above him is Nixon for reasons I don't really know. And then, of course, <laughs> and then of course is, is Kennedy because, well, you know, should have ducked. Um, <laughs> but uh, but the, you're right. So it is a good time to look, look at his legacy, which has been on the increase for decades now. Yeah, it is interesting. That at the time he came to power, and I, I, I'm drawing here from a, uh, a wonderful essay uh, that was written by James Fallows, mm-hmm. who was his scriptwriter for oh, many yeah. years. And he's been writing on Carter for quite a long time, but mm. just recently in The Atlantic that he wrote again uh, in an essay entitled An Unlucky President and a Lucky Man. Mm. He describes Carter as disciplined, funny, enormously intelligent and deeply spiritual, but Quite interestingly, he also says his presidency was passionless. Ah. Uh, so, so let's just recreate the time. And that's—I was going to actually give me my first question mm. to you, Eddie, because obviously. Um, my first memory you know, of American, American politics, you know, I'm a bit young, 51, so my first memory was Reagan and Thatcher, you know, the early 80s. What was it like? A, over here in Australia, but also what was it like for you two? You, know, you would have remembered, you would have, Jimmy Carter getting elected, you know, you would, it would have been on your radar, but was America a big part of everyone's life over here at that time or was it still that sort of dreamland with, you know, if you go to Disneyland? Nowadays, of course, we've all been there or we know someone who's been there, but in those days, I'm guessing not many people would. Paul, I was married to a man who missed out by one day from going to the Vietnam War. One day. By one day. Oh, those are the days of the lottery, wasn't That's it? That's the right. I was in my 20s. I got married early, stupidly. And yeah, people of my era, mm. I mean, I'm 67, people of my era, that that was not a distant thing. Mm-hmm. That was a real thing. Mm. I remember, I'm going to name drop now. I remember oh, interviewing um, Mel Gibson. As you mm. And his movie... We were soldiers. We were soldiers, yes. The Vietnam movie. I That's right. vaguely remember that one, yeah. I, and he, he put a lot of passion into that movie. And I remember interviewing him and he was kind of incandescent. He was so angry mm. because 
it had not had any recognition in Britain. Mm. And his whole point was the British had no idea they that Australians involved. were in the Vietnam War. Oh, I didn't even War. know that the Australians were in. Wow, so they didn't know the Australians were in the Vietnam War. Yeah. Whereas to us... It was a very real and present thing. Your husband almost went. Uh, my uncle served. Mm-hmm. Um, I still remember the marches in the streets. Of course. And <coughs> I remember the Skyhook single, whatever happened to the revolution. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the Vietnam moratorium marches. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of that generation marched out of there and straight into an A.V. Jennings home. <laughs> but, we, but, you know, everyone, I was a bit too young to be marching in the street. I was working mm. as a journalist at the time, actually. Mm. I was working in Geelong and often I would be sent down to the docks when American ships came in to right. talk about the war yes. or whatever happened. So let's just sort of set the scene again. Please. I mean, this is the 1970s. This is the era of uh, Rocky, that taxi driver, Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Star Wars, Saturday Night Fever, if you like. That's right, yeah. yeah. And you mentioned that um, the, uh, the the writing that had been done on Carter, and it, the title was Unlucky Times, wasn't it? Because it really was. I, I, if you look back on the people forget just what problems were going on oh, in yes. the 70s. Actually, what, before we get into his time as presidency, one thing I want to talk about, you, you mentioned how intelligent he was. In fact, I mean, I don't put much stock in IQ tests, mm-hmm. but they have done sort of, in fact, post-mortem IQ tests and Carter always comes up as one of the most intelligent That's people right. who, who ever sat behind the Resolute desk. Right. But here's the thing, Paul, that I didn't realize until you told me. I mean, he's the first person to graduate from high school in his family. Mm. But his family history is not what you'd expect. Well, no, his, his, the, the Carters can actually trace themselves back to 1635, yeah, when the first Carters came to Virginia. You know, so they, in one way, they're one of the old families, but we were talking about um, the Roosevelts before in another episode, and they were you know, the, the dynasties of, and the scions of, of politics, and they could rule you know, half of Manhattan. But <laughs> Jimmy Carter's family, no, but you know, he may be able to go back a long way on his family tree, but realistic, when he was growing up, like Mikey said, he was the first one to go to... He graduated, the first one to graduate from high school first one to go to um, tertiary education and when he was standing to become president yeah th- th- no one gave him a chance at the no. beginning did it? it was like no. jimmy who from from where you know no Plains, one knew- georgia that's right a peanut farm yeah and, and so what happens is that he rises and rises let's put him in his context mm. he becomes governor of georgia mm. and he is out and about and talking to Farmers, mm. and of course, he knew those people very well. He was also interested in law reform and prison reform and uh, passed laws, uh, one of which was um, that alcoholism was no longer on the statutes as a criminal offence. As a crime, yeah. Yeah, so what he was doing, he was the, the people he was talking to. And now the people that sort of Donald, Donald Trump purports to talk to. Yes. But these, he really did talk to these people. Yes. So when he, when he was rising in politics, we've got, got to remember that Gerald Ford was in power. Yeah. Okay? Now, Gerald Ford had pardoned Nixon. Yes. And so he, he you know, would he, would he be returned in his own right, Gerald Ford? Well, that looked like a pretty long shot, really. And, and, and let's face it, Ford was only there because Agnew stuffed up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he, he, he wasn't anyone's, he wasn't even Nixon's first choice. Yeah. So what we're looking at is a time where, which is absolutely uh, riven mm. by the Vietnam War. It's also the big recession as well, isn't it? Yeah, 73, 75. Apparently that was the worst recession since the Great Depression. 
um, in American history. You know, so the, the economy's tank. Oil prices well, are going through the well, roof. Well, interest rates twenty percent. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So he gets up. Um, and he's a very interesting character, Carter. And I looked up, there's a really interesting speech that he gave in 74, this is, to the law school of Georgia. And he quotes Bob Dylan. What? Right. Yes. He says, my, the other source, and quote unquote, I wish I could do the accent because it's just priceless. The other source of my understanding about what's right and wrong in this society is from a friend of mine, a poet named Bob Dylan. Mm. After listening to his records about the Battle of Hattie Carroll and Like a Rolling Stone and the times they are changing, I've learned to appreciate the dynamism of change in a modern society. Now, this is mm. a scientist. He's a lawyer, mm. all, you know, all, as well as being a farmer. Um, and he says, I grew up as a landowner's son, but I don't think I ever realised the proper interrelationship between the landowner and those who worked on a farm until I heard Dylan's record, I ain't going to work on Maggie's farm no more. I ain't going to work on Maggie's farm no more. I promise I will never sing it again, but it's one of my favourite Dylan songs. So I come here speaking to you today about inf my information based on Bob Dylan. I mean mm. – how I mean, how unlikely is yes. that? Whereas you're looking at Trump, you can't even get three eye blind to play for his gigs anymore. <laughs> I, I mean, if every Trump rally, he breaks the law because virtually every songwriter in American England has, has put a cease and desist on songs he can play. <laughs> yeah, but it. you did say there, Wendy, you know, that is the he was talking to the he's actually yes. talking to people that um, Trump purports to because he he was seen as a bit of an outsider, even though he'd been a governor. Yeah, he was seen as a bit of an outsider by the Washington. Washington um, cliques, if you like. Well, he railed against lobbyists. That mm. was one of his big things as well. He mm. was like, who are these people? That is also one of the reasons why maybe he did run so well because he wasn't seen like Ford or, or even who the, the, the Democrats were putting up. He wasn't seen as being part of the Washington elite. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a, a lovely um, anecdote that he also uh, mentions in this speech that he gave. He said um, one day his mum said to him, Oh, Jimmy, I think it's time for you to read War and Peace. <laughs> and he says, I was completely relieved because I thought it was a book about cowboys and Indians. <laughs> and he checked it out. And this is what he took away from Tolstoy's War and Peace. And this is really interesting. The point of the book is, and what Tolstoy points out in the epilogue is, that he didn't write the book about Napoleon or the Tsar of Russia or even the generals except in a rare occasion. He wrote it about the students and the housewives and the barbers and the farmers and the privates in the army. And the point of the book is that the course of human events, uh, even the greatest historical events, are not determined by the leaders of a nation or a state like presidents or, governor, or governors or senators. They are controlled by the combined wisdom and courage and commitment and discernment and unselfishness and compassion and love an idealism of the common, ordinary people. Mm. Wowie. While we're talking war and peace, let's not forget one of, the, one of his first things in the presidency was to pardon all the Vietnam War draft That's dodgers. Right. Mm. That's right. Mm. I mean, yeah. It's amazing thing. You know, Ford pardons Nixon yes. and Carter pardons all the people who you know, had stood up and taken a stance against the war. Well, that's certainly He's so right with what you've just been saying there, Wendy, because you know, when we started putting this show together oh, way back you know, two, three years ago, mm. yeah, we gave it the title Heroes and Howlers, but very much and the rest is history because what we see is the real history is 
the small people, the real people on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. That's right. That's uh, well, that's yeah. That's the kind of history that I always liked. Uh, Barbara Tuckman's one of my yes, favourite historians, yes. and she talks about the the domesticity, you know, and what people were eating and how they were going about their daily lives, and that breathes life into history for me. And I think if you look at you know if you look at Carter's agenda, he's always looking at the. The small side. He's not. He, he, yeah. Of course, he's involved in some massive things that you know, the Camp David later on, and all that sort of this international. But so much stuff he's doing, whether it's education, um, whether it's gay rights, this kind of thing. He's oh, picking up on a lot of the small people and, and racism. Yeah, actually, actually, I want to talk about gay rights later. But you know, when you talk about his commonality, two weeks into his presidency, he gets the nickname Jimmy Cardigan because he wears a cardigan to a formal dinner because and I love this he turned down the gas in the White House because of the energy crisis yes. to save money and then he wears a cardigan on telly when he gives a fireside chat in fact he was completely opposed to all of the pageantry of office with the presidency the mm. point where he put the presidential yacht I didn't even know there was a presidential yacht he put that up for auction in 1977 <laughs> right. he got rid of the president why did the president need a friggin yacht yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess the point about Jimmy Carter is, and this is the point that's made by his former speechwriter, as we say, James Fallows, he said, had Carter not lived so long, or he's still living so long, mm, we mm. wouldn't be now examining his legacy. And he says, well, there, there are other presidents who maybe popped off a little earlier that we don't look at, but certainly Jimmy Carter is very interesting. And, of course, he won the Nobel Peace Prize. Yes. He was 80. Yeah, yeah 2002. Actually, I think we'll take a little pause here, come back, and we'll talk about legacy, and we'll talk about that Nobel Peace Prize. Hi, folks. Welcome back. We're talking with our dear friend Wendy Harmer about her hero, Jimmy Carter, the 39th president. Now, before the break, I said I wanted to talk about legacy and Mm. and Nobel Prize. Now, there's a quote. There's a famous quote of F. Scott Fitzgerald who says that there are no second acts in American lives. Carter is the greatest example of all time of a second act. Oh yes, yes my word! It's 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 a third act and a fourth act. Yeah. I'd go on to say. Actually, but before we get into that, can I just run a quick list of of the achievements? Yes. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. He was a, he was a one term president, which often you know puts you in the in the back seat in the, you know, in the history bus. Mm. But this is what he actually achieved as president. Uh, Eight million jobs, decreased budget deficit when measured against the uh, GDO, because the, uh, then the high inflation rates does cause a recession. But a national energy policy expanded the national parks, including an extra 103 million acres in Alaska, created the Department of Education, we mentioned mm. that before, bolstered social security, and we were talking before about you know, his, his attitudes towards you know, diversity, set out on a number of unprecedented appointments of women, African-Americans and Hispanics to high government positions. The one thing that he's very much noted for and uh, probably did more than anyone else has, you know, before or since, is is uh, his attempts to bring peace to the Middle East with his um, Camp David Accords. 1978, the famous Camp David Accords. Yeah, Menachem Begum and Anwar Sadat, yeah. And um, he was uh, involved in that, uh, you know, around the clock. Mm-hmm. He, um, he 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 uh, forged the Panama Canal Treaty. Mm. Which is actually, it's a far more important treaty than, it's one of those things that we often forget. That Panama Treaty was, was a massive, massive achievement. Mm. And of right. course, the Camp David Accords, yeah, kept going like we were saying. Yeah, after his 
presidency as well. And I think that is why, yeah, I think is we can I think we can agree he's been a bit unfairly treated as a president, but at least he has always been given a lot of credit for his post-presidential yeah. career. But I think very much coming into focus now, I think mm. that he perhaps has not, and as I say, not, not been to the fore as he might be, but he will be. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think this is such a good conversation to have. But how would yes. you like yes. on your epitaph, yeah. on your tombstone there, when you both popped off, <laughs> to have, here lies Mikey Robbins, who almost eradicated the dreaded guinea worm. Mm. I'm glad we got to this. I'm glad we got to this. And in fact, people would think, oh, yeah, Mikey just ate all the guinea worms. <laughs> but uh, they're not like gummy bears. In fact, you are right. That is the Carter Center, and, and which is how he's, he's post presidential uh, work. Mm. He's one of the few people, one of the only people I know, can say, I got rid of a disease. Mm-hmm. Well, Bill Gates has been doing very well on malaria, of yes, course. Yes, he, he's yeah, doing yeah. well. But in 1985, the Carter Center starts doing work on the on the guinea worm disease. Mm. Now, this is a, a parasite in stagnant water, usually in tropical areas with yeah, with bad access to proper healthy water. In 1985, when they started, there were 3.5 million cases of this disease, and in 2022, there were 13. Wow, wow. that's amazing! Yep. Wow, yes. yeah, that's amazing. Isn't that's just enough to be going on with, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't that just extraordinary? And then there's the whole uh, Habitat for, for Humanity stuff. Yeah. Mm. And also, one thing we haven't mentioned is his legacy, and particularly in the times we're living through now, is the way he dealt with Russia. Yeah. So you have to remember, he kept those SALT two talks going, even at the same time giving Russia a hard time over its human rights. And then, of course, we have the whole invasion of Afghanistan. Well, I see, because you've got Russia invading Afghanistan in 79. You know, you've also got, you know, behind the scenes is the, you know, the U.S. Embassy hostage crisis in Tehran in 79. Well, you know, the interesting thing about that is, of course, that if it, they hadn't kind of stuffed it up, yeah. Carter may have been re-elected. But that mm. was, that was, so there were certainly failures there, and they were very much exploited by the, um, you know, the Republicans. Of course, you know, the, there's the whole Iran gate thing. But, yeah, there is that image of those burning helicopters mm. in the middle of the desert from that failed rescue attempt, and from that moment on, his presidency was pretty much doomed. Mm. Yeah, that's right. He was. We, we can't, of course, um, talk about Jimmy Carter without talking about his um, spiritualism. Carter talked a lot about values and engagement and mm-hmm. citizens, as, as I mentioned earlier there, about you know citizens changing the world. So he's to be renowned as that. There's also actually Mikey yeah. too. I can't let this go past. What? He's kind of... You know, rectitude about sort of um, fiscal matters. I mean, i.e., um, he sold his peanut farm, but his brother, yeah, Billy Carter, who was a little bit of a problem. Let's not forget, you know, you know the, the Bush family had their problem, kid, but he ended up being president. <laughs> but, 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 but Billy Carter, he did love a beer. He like, brought out a brand of beer, didn't he? Yeah, called yeah, Billy uh, Billy Carter beer no, or uh, something. Billy beer. Billy, Billy beer. beer. That's right. and, and he would quite often embarrass, um, you know, the, the president. But you're, you're right, he, he sold the peanut farm. Um, in fact, his hero was Truman because Truman went out of his way not to profit from his presidency mm. as opposed to certain recent people. <laughs> yes. So, Wendy, yeah, you say you can see uh, the whole world really revisiting um, Carter's presidency, you know, particularly if he does die in, in, in the near future with the Biden election coming up. Can you ever see the Democrats getting back to the levels of support in the South that Carter had? Do you think that's because he came from Georgia or do you think 
that's because of the of his stance, or do you think it's just because it was a different age? Well, it's uh, look. I, I would like to uh, you know refer here again to um, James Fellows, who wrote this terrific essay in the Atlantic. I'll, I'll read you the quote. Jimmy Carter took office in the before times. Right. We mm. live in an unrecognisable after. Yeah, yeah. Yep. No, I agree. I, I can't see, <laughs> unfortunately, I can't see the South coming out for the Democrats for a while. But yeah, but also you have to look at the fracturing of where we get information now. Sure. You know, it's it's not the sort of hegemony of the six o'clock news. No, or, no, you no. Know, it's a very different world. Well, but you have to remember too that the Republicans did have a very distinct strategy to try and win the South. It starts with Nixon. It, it then accelerates with Reagan. Mm. And then under, you know, during the, the Obama years, when you, when you look at Newt Gingrich and, and those guys, there was a real sense of turning the South. Now, you mentioned his spirituality. He was a deeply Christian man. Yes. Having said that, he was the first U.S. president to actually make an open statement supporting gay rights. <laughs> it's wild, isn't it? Mm-hmm. In 1978, he gets a letter from Harvey Milk. Now, we all know Harvey Milk from the Sean Penn movie. Now, Milk writes to him about a thing called the California Briggs Initiative. Now, Briggs was a right-wing conservative mm-hmm. in California. He was trying to bring in this law that would ban gay men and women from being employed as teachers or working in education. Mm-hmm. And Carter came out, as I said, a man of the religious South, and mm-hmm. said, no. This is not a good thing. The one thing, of course, too, is that, that Carter was very much about unionism and collective bargaining and so mm-hmm. on. Which is something that the Democrats have gotten away from. Yeah, and that, but when Reaganism comes in, mm. it's about personal entrepreneurship. Right, yeah. And, and that, and that you know, trickle-down economics, neoliberalism. Yeah. And that, 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 of course, persists for today. Well, taken it by Thatcher, yeah, exactly, yeah. And Howard here, by the way. Can yeah. you explain one good thing to me that has the words trickle-down in it? <laughs> or even the word trickle. Mm. It's just not a pleasant word. He's the only president to make an official UFO sighting report. Really? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Go on. <laughs> okay, October 1969, <laughs> he's at Leary with the Leary Georgia Lions Club. Now, he doesn't make the report to 1973, but he makes the report to both the Inter- National UFO Bureau and the National Investigations Committee of Aerial Phenomena. Now, he maintains that on that night, for about 10 to 12 minutes, and making no noise at all, there seemed to be this large glowing thing in the sky. It changed both size, brightness, and colour. And even as late as 2007, he still maintained that he didn't believe it to be an experimental test flight from nearby Fort Benning, nor was it Venus. He would just say it was something he couldn't identify. Mm. Which is interesting. I mean, it shows A, he's open minded. He's, yep. he's, 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 he's not a UFO. <laughs> jumping on it, yeah. And why he was uh, so in favour of early drug reform, maybe. <laughs> oh, well, yes, he was in favour of that. Also, too, he was the first to install solar panels on the White House. Yes. yes no, that was part of the, uh, yeah, the oil crisis, wasn't it? Yeah, he yeah, wanted to try and save, yeah, right. save some money and right. save some energy. Yeah, exactly. And not surprisingly, they were taken down by Reagan in 1986, <laughs> only to be reinstalled by Obama in 2013. Yeah, yeah. As a president and as James. Fellow says, who was his speech writer, he wasn't an inspirational character particularly. No, he wasn't. And, and, and he says that um, uh, Carter was not really able to communicate his passions while he was in office. I mean, he was a sort of almost a back, 
room person, you mm-hmm. know, signing off on this and negotiating that. And but as a, as a figure mm. to come out and sort of, you know, ignite passions and mm. get people to march up and down and, you know, cheer in the streets, he was not that person. No, well, that's it. it was Jimmy Who, wasn't it? it was it was, was all the headlines the Republicans used to run when he first stood for presidency because he, he, he has got the – and then, of course, you know, the Jimmy mm. Cardigan stuff yeah, that you yeah. were talking about, Mikey, because he unfortunately he hasn't – or maybe fortunately, but he wasn't one of those people who shouted it down down mm, your mm. Uh, down your neck, you know. Actually, which is one of the reasons why we might be looking on him very fondly these days. Isn't it nice to see someone just getting on with the job? Well, you know, it's it's the opposite of demagoguery, isn't yeah. it? Mm. You know, and uh, we you have who's that queen they have in Europe who just cycles Queen Marguerite or whatever her name in is. In the Netherlands, yeah, who just cycles around the yes. push bike. You know, bring it back, I reckon. Exactly. Look, we're going to have to leave it for time here. I think, I mean, look, see, normally we talk about a howler, but Wendy is such a positive person. She, <laughs> she didn't have a howler. And also, too, I'm, I've always been slightly afraid of her. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. It's exactly how it should be, too. Thank you, Mr. Robbins. Wendy, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you You're for uh, giving us a chance to talk about Jimmy Carter. I think he really is one of those figures that needs to be looked at a little bit more closely by most of us uh, and as you say probably will be in the, in the coming two or three years one last question you want to go to the pub <laughs>